Good morning. Um, glad to be here with you. Thanks, Mark. Um, I've been connected to uh, Bridgewood really for the past two and a half years. Um, I think, I don't know when I came on the advisory board, but uh, it was two and a half years ago that there was a conference out here that I was completely uninterested in attending. And um, I, didn't, I mean, 42 years into this, um, you go to a lot of conferences and you really pick and choose at a certain point. But I, uh, I actually felt like the Lord spoke to me to go to this conference at Bridgewood because uh, I'd heard that Mark Spencer was here. And I had not seen Mark Spencer for 20-some years. Mark spoke at, I don't know if you remember this, Mark, uh, he spoke at the church I was pastoring at the time, gave a seminar on counseling that was really wonderful, and then that was it. He evaporated from my environment. And um, so when I heard that uh, he was pastoring out here, I came out, and the only reason I came out was to reconnect with him. And um, God bless the conference. I don't know what happened with it, but I reconnected with Mark. And so we've been meeting uh, for the last two and a half years. I think we have our own special table at Starbucks in Roseville. It's kind of the halfway point for us to go to, and, um, and it's been a wonderful uh, reconnection. In fact, Mark was our speaker uh, last year. We always have our ARC. Yeah, we are for renewal. Those other people are of renewal, so I don't know what, what Mike Bradley is going to say about that. <laughs> but, um, uh, but Mark came and spoke to us um, about community. It was a, a great time, and, um, and I'm, very glad, I'm very glad to be part of this to be part of your lives, although I don't see too many familiar faces. Um, uh, I'm, I'm gr- grateful to be part of what's happening here at Bridgewood. The, um, I also, uh, this is a funny story to me. When I was first a pastor in 1975, I had heard that this guy, I don't even know how this happened, but I connected with this guy, Tom Stewart, who was pastoring at... Um, Way of the Cross, and uh, and so my wife and I had was my wife's name is Susan. We had Tom and Susan over for dinner, and um, and that was it. You know, I, I just was wanting to build a relationship, but Tom evaporated out of my life. You know, for at any rate, it's all coming back together here, and um, and I'm and I'm glad for it. My understanding. Well, let me say one more thing. Um, at the retreat, I met your elders. Uh, and I have really deeply appreciated the quality of elders you have here at Bridgewood. I, I visit lots of churches. I see lots of leadership teams. You have good elders. You have really good elders. And I uh, just want you to hear that from the outside. So, It's my understanding that you've been in transition for all of the two and a half years that I have been part of this. Um, and you're at the front end of the latter phase of this transition. Um, I think transitions are divine disruptions, holy disruptions, and they are positively unsettling. And I emphasize the word positively, especially if they're God-initiated, transitions are positively unsettling and hopefully God initiated. I think this one is. They almost always involve leadership and mission. Every transition involves leadership and mission. And leaders are different. Have you figured that out yet? I mean, I want you to think about 
going from Tom Stewart to Mark Spencer to Brendan Fairley. That's, that's as much difference as I can kind of put on one page. These are three very different leaders. And, but I look at it, frankly, as a kind of providence, God's providence, because very frankly, I, I think one of the calls that we have as believers is to understand how God thinks about anything. Uh, how does he think about this? How does he think about Bridgewood? How does he think about the mission at Bridgewood? How does he think about your life? And, and this is how he thinks, in part. He thinks that he owns it. He thinks it belongs to him. He thinks it's, it's that he has authority over it. And in fact, he does. We believe this. And we, we even sang about it a bit this morning. But, you know, I'll follow you alone, God alone, this alone. I'd say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but when, it, when, when the... When the rubber hits the road, uh, is it going to be that way? Is it going to be the, the reality that I don't own my life, I don't own the mission, the leaders don't own, as it were, the mission here? This is God's. This, this belongs to God. And so our, our deepest call is to, is to, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, align ourselves with God, how he's thinking, how he's moving. We sang about it, we've got to do it. So I love the fact that you're going to have a week of prayer before Brendan's installation. You know, come to that. Get, because that will be, I think, hopefully, an alignment process that goes on. This is how saints through all of the ages have aligned themselves with God. They've humbled themselves and prayed and fasted and sought God. You're going to do that? Do that. Do that because God will show up in that and lay hold of you and get you ordered again for the, a fresh launch into what he's doing here in Blaine or the northern suburbs. So leaders are different, uh, and mission oftentimes will shift uh, in a church. My guess is the mission here, although it won't be completely different, but I'm guessing it's going to shift because Brendan is going to be at the helm. I'm guessing it will shift. And so we say, okay, well, this, is, this is why, in, in the providence of God, he changes leaders sometimes because the mission needs to change. It needs a different leader to do a different part of the mission. You up for that? You got to be. You have to be. You have to be up for this. Uh, and this week of prayer will help you get up for it. Let me have you think with me what I, what I consider the three biggest transitions in the Scripture. Uh, I would say the Moses to Joshua transition. That was a big one, right? the David to Solomon transition, and the Jesus to Peter transition, uh, each of them was moving from a founder to a, I would say, more of a builder-missionary type. Uh, I can't go into all of that. I'd love to another time, but I have to go on here. The large constant in each of these transitions was God. I, I, I love the fact that when Joshua 1 where God says, God says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, Joshua, get up and... It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Moses is dead, and that's it? That's all we're saying about Moses? He's dead? And now we're going to move on to Joshua? Well, it's kind of that feel, uh, although, of course, God has great delight in Moses and great delight in what he did. But when God moves, he's not nervous about the fact that Moses is dead. Do you understand that? 
God thinks he's God. God thinks that he actually can be God in any given situation. So Moses is dead. And, and, you know, by the way, someday Mark Spencer will be dead. What a cheery thought that is, right? Someday we're all going to be dead and God will be alive. And he'll keep moving. For 2,000 years, this has been the order of the day. Um, His leaders die, and God stays, and God keeps moving, and God keeps anointing, and God keeps raising up, and God keeps moving on. It's happening here. It's going to happen here. And we're part of a large process that's been going on for centuries, for millennia, and it's still happening. So the large constant is God moving his own mission forward. But these transitions, and every transition, all of them were challenging and kind of messy and, and, but also critical for the mission. If you're going to keep moving on, there will have to be transitions that take place, but transitions are always a bit messy. And, and, and there's always more happening than you expected. I, I remember when I got married, um, it was, uh, I thought, this is going to be great. Uh, 42 years later, it's great, but it's great in a different way than I expected in the first part. I remember, uh, I think it was two months into my marriage, I woke up one morning, my wife's name is Susan, I woke up and I, and I, and I looked over and, and I was jolted, the fact, because she was there. And I thought, and what I realized was this, she's never going to leave. And I had not bargained on that, you know, she's always going to be there. And uh, so I, I looked at that and I thought, okay, well, you know, you knew this was going to happen, but... But somehow it dawned on me that morning that she's never leaving. And, uh, and I think some weeks after that, uh, similarly, I was walking out the door, and Sue said, where are you going? And I thought, what do you mean, where am I going? Do you have to know everything? Is this how it's going to be? So what I'm saying is this. From a, it, it was a transition. I hadn't thought about that. She's always going to be there, and she always wants to know what I'm doing. Um, 42 years later, I get that. But, but, but you see, what I'm saying is this. You never bargain on all of the changes that take place in the midst of a transition. It's always just a bit more than you had anticipated, or there's things happening that you didn't plan on. That's what you have to budget for. Things will happen that you are not planning on But if you're committed, like I was to my wife, I'm staying. I guess she's staying the whole time, too, and she wants to know where I'm going. And uh, and I need to tell her without uh, without a condescending bad attitude. Okay. um, So I want you to think of the context of Moses and Joshua for a minute. Uh, I mean, think of who Moses was. Moses was the man, Right? He's this old 80-year-old shepherd comes down to the greatest leader in the world, Pharaoh of Egypt, says, let my people go, and we have a few issues that take place in this transition, like plagues. And But Moses walks out of Egypt with two and a half million people, and he's, he, they have not raised a sword. Why? Because God is with them. Because God has initiated this transition, because God is at work, and so they walk out, and they get to the Red Sea, and it looks like they're going to get killed. Moses, you see, you've seen the Ten Commandments, right? 
You think that's how it is? I don't know. But he, he raised his... I, I remember watching that as a kid in the movie theaters thinking, wow, when the, when the Red Sea split. You look at it now and it's like, how lame is that, right? It's, um, but it really happened. It really happened that Moses stretched out his staff and that sea split and two and a half million people walked across. And when Pharaoh's army came in, it, he drowned him. It was a God-initiated transition. But Moses was the man, not just then, and not just getting out of Egypt, he was the man for 40 years in the desert. All, I mean, every day this manna came down, and every day Moses would go to the tabernacle, and every day these people understood he's the guy. Now, it was also fraught with all kinds of complaining and difficulty from these people. It was, uh, don't do that to Brendan, by the way. You know, don't spend all your energy complaining about, you know, geez, I wish it was like you know, the days of Mark Spencer. It's like, oh, oh, for the days of Tom Stewart. No, no, no. That's, that's going to be over. And you're going to be led by this young guy, and the constant is God. God is here. God is at work. And so after 40 years... Moses is the man. And then in this transition to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. He's not the man anymore. Now we're going to move in to a different kind of mission that's going to unfold. And in fact, it does. And Joshua, and Joshua's been mentored, as Brendan's been mentored. Joshua's been mentored by Moses for almost all of those years. And, uh, and I think. Uh, I think Brendan's been mentored by both Tom and Mark for all of these years. There's, uh, there's something really lovely about all of that. But I want you to, uh, if you can, <laughs> turn to Deuteronomy 31. Of course you can. Um, and I'm going to read the first eight verses just to give you a feel for this transition that took place. Deuteronomy 31. Uh, so Moses continued to speak these words to all of Israel, and he said to them, I'm 120 years old today. I'm no longer able to go out and come in. And the Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself will go over before you. Notice how, notice how Moses is really understanding and trying to help these people understand. It's God. It's God himself who is going to go before you. Um, the Lord God yourself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. Now I want you to notice the, the, the phrasing here, the, the collaborative Phrasing. Look at it again. Uh, he will destroy these nations before you so that you will dispossess them. So who's doing the destroying, the dispossessing? Well, it's, it's God at work. God is moving powerfully against these nations to move them out. But he says, you shall dispossess them. I'm going to be working with you. It's, it's me in my power and authority doing something, but you are going to actually dispossess them. Um, do you see this? I want you to see this. It's so important because sometimes, sometimes we can look at it and say, well, God's just going to do it all. Uh, no. Yes, no. It's the whole, the whole nature of God at work is that he chooses human beings to do his will and do his mission, and he's going to do it with you. Uh, he's going to move the nations out, but you are going to dispossess them. It's a collaborative effort of God and you. He's invited you into his mission, 
he still invites you into his mission. And it says this, um, so that you, and, and Joshua will go, will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. And the Lord will give them over to you, and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. Who's doing what here? It's the, it's the, it's the commandment and the grace of God, but he chooses leaders to do it. But beyond leaders... He chooses all of his people to be part of this whole process of his mission. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Now, I could say the same thing to you. I am confident that this is a God-initiated transition that's taking place here. At Br- I'm very confident of that. I am, I am confident of the preparation that's going on. I'm confident of... Um, the work that Tom and Mark have both done in response with Brendan. I'm confident of that. But you know what? I'm, I'm also realistic. Uh, I'm, I'm realistic because these are all human beings. There's, there's no perfection here at all. And, and part of it is the understanding of a perfect God choosing imperfect people to do his perfect will. A perfect God choosing imperfect people to do his perfect will. Because, because no leader will be anything but imperfect. Now, hopefully, they're called, and I think you've got that. I think you've had three leaders who've been called by God to be here over, the, over these years, and now we have this transition going on. Now, let me shift, and because I want to talk about this bigger transition, and I have a few minutes to do this. The big transition that I see that has taken place, the big one is from Jesus to Peter, but it's really not Jesus to Peter, It's Jesus to a God-infused people. Peter certainly is called as a leader to actually lead the charge here. But but really in the New Testament now, we have God distributing his spirit to everybody. That every every believer becomes God-infused by his spirit with particular gifts to actually give on the mission. And that's what I want to press to you this morning. That that reality is, because sometimes we look at the, in the, in the, uh, particularly in the Old Testament, we look at the leadership shiftings, and it's all about the leader, and who is the leader. And, and it, that's important. Leaders are really important. In the New Testament, there is a significant shift into the people, that every one of God's people is infused with his spirit and gifts to actually contribute to the mission of God, every one of you. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, I, I know something about you. I know that you have been infused with his spirit, and I know that you have gifts. And I want to say something to you about your gifts. They're not yours. They belong to God, they belong to his people, and they belong to his mission. He's put his spirit in you not to give you goosebumps, not to make you just make you happy. Well, that's part of it. But, but he's put his spirit in you and these gifts in you to actually be part 
of the mission that he owns here at Bridgewood. You're here this morning, infused by his spirit, infused with gifts that are part of the mission. Now, I don't know if you've discovered yet what those gifts are, and I don't know how much those gifts are being brought in to the mission here, but that is how God thinks. That's how he thinks, that your gifts are not yours. They're his, and they belong to the people, and they belong to the mission. So I look at, oftentimes from a pastoral point of view, I, I look at people and say, I, the gifts you have, I need them. We need them. We have to do this together with God in this collaborative effort. So I want you to think about this 120 people. Now think about this. If Moses was the man, who was Jesus? Well, he was the man. He was the son of man. He was the son of, he's leaving. And in this interim, after he's raised from the dead, there's this odd interim that goes on where he's, he's being a little bit obscure in what's going on. But he says, I'm going to leave. You just wait because my spirit's going to come. When he comes, he's going to send you out. I want you to go everywhere and make disciples of all nations. Now, but wait, but wait, pray, wait, stop. And so for, for 10 days, this people, 120 of them, go to an upper room. And then at, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God comes and infuses these 120 people. Uh, isn't it interesting that at the end of three years of ministry, Jesus ends up with 120 people? I think, that's it? That's it. 120 people that stayed faithful after three years of ministry. But then these people are now going to enter into a transition that's going to be amazing. Because as Peter goes out and preaches this sermon, what happens? 3,000 people. 3,000 people actually come to Jesus, and now we have a transition taking place here. Now we have this amazing thing of what's going to happen in Jerusalem, and, um, but now we have these, we have 3,120, and uh, so what does Jesus think about this transition? Well, he thinks about the Jerusalem transition. Leaders are crucial. They've always been an organic part of his plan, but really, it's all of us. It's the body of Christ. It's the mission of Jesus And this is not merely a leadership transition here. It's a missional transition. So I'm going to conclude, I think, in Ephesians 4. If you turn there for a minute, very familiar passage. I just wanted to emphasize a couple of thoughts from Ephesians 4 to you. Paul spends the first three chapters of Ephesians laying out the gospel. Here is the core understanding of who we are. And then in chapter 4, he gets into the unity of the faith. But notice verse 7. It says, but grace was given to each one of us. And so I I just want to say to you, as I look at each one of you this morning, that this verse is true about you. Grace has been given to each one of you, and according to the measure of Christ's gift. Here's how I understand that. The grace is, is, is the Spirit of Christ that comes in you, and imparts giftings, understandings uh, to each one of you. Grace has been given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So my question is this. What is the measure of Christ's gift? It's enormous. It's massive. It's complete. And he has decided to distribute his spirit and particular gifts to each one of those who believe in him. It's, it's, it's each one of you. Each one of you possesses giftings and anointings 
from his spirit to contribute to the mission. It's not yours. It belongs to Christ, and it belongs to the mission. Now, I say that to actually put a kind of holy fear in you, um, really, that this, this whole endeavor that we're in is, is not just about Bridgewood, and how, you know, how, what Bridgewood's going to do in the future. This is about Jesus. It's about how he thinks about it, how he understands who he is and what he is planning to do. Do you think that Jesus is actually planning anything right now for this church? Do you think? Yes? He is. I mean, he's not thoughtless at all. He's very, very on task. He's thinking about it. And so part of the nature of prayer and fasting is to say, what are you thinking? He'll tell you. He'll tell you. He'll, and he will, but he'll also speak to you about your particular gift that he thinks ought to be part of this mission. He's going to talk to you. I, I, and I'm going to be praying for you. I will be praying for you that you'll hear, that each one of you will hear, and those giftings that you have will actually be distributed into the mission. So, but then he says this, and just to emphasize this, leadership and the body, he says these, you know, these very familiar verses in verse 11, he gave some to be, where am I at? He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. You've heard probably a good number of sermons on this. He did. He really did give out specific giftings of leadership to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Who's doing the work of the ministry? The saints, right? The, these other guys are equipping. Mainly, their gift is to equip the saints, Drew, including you, um, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And what is the work of the ministry? To the building up of the body of Christ. I understand that two ways. Internally, that we get better, more like Christ, and externally, that more people come in. This is how God thinks, that somehow these leaders would equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, to the building up of the body of Christ, so that uh, uh, um, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I always say that slowly because it's so big. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. How full is that? What measure is that? What's the stature like? It's the enormity of the gospel, the enormity of the incarnation and resurrection and ascension of Christ. It's enormous. And he's saying this. Paul's saying that these five equipping guys are meant to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry that's going to build up the body of Christ. That's you. That's the transition you're in. So you get Brendan Fairley for the next phase of this to lead you like a Joshua. But it's really Jesus. It's really you. It's really about what he's going to do in you and through you. How he th- what does he think about Blaine? Does he think anything about Blaine? He does. I mean, there's so many times he actually names cities. Woe to you, Chorazin, and woe to you, whoever else got woed on. You know, it's, it's a... He's thinking about cities. He's thinking that his people are in a city or an area. He's thinking about this. And he's thinking about what he wants to do in, in regard to 
the people that live in this area, he thinks all of them need to hear. He, he wants all of them to be made disciples. This is, this is part of going into all the world. You're here. We're going to do it here. That's how he's thinking. Here's my, here are my people that are infused with my spirit with gifts, and they're being equipped to do the, the, the work of the ministry. And it says, uh, but it's... But, in, in verse 11, you know, he gave all, that we might attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. But then he says, finally, in verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is supplied, when each part is working properly, here's the each part is working. What, what does working properly look like? It means that your gifts are being drawn out. It means that you are submitting your gifts to him. It means that you're learning from the leaders and letting them equip you with whatever it is. It means that you understand that I don't belong to myself. I belong to Jesus, and I belong to his people, and I belong to this mission. It means that when each part is working properly, Paul says. And finally he says, and it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is how he thinks. This is how he plans to move forward. And it's really not so much about your personal preferences. It's about him. He has preferences. He has ideas. He's thinking concretely about all of this. I really am going to conclude this. Two thoughts about transitional temptations. Number one, this is what you must not do during 2014. The first temptation is to become the passive critic of the evolving transition, to note the messiness and the disruption, and to miss the grace that's going to be distributed. I believe this, that in the middle of transitions, the Holy Spirit is distributing gifts. And part of the nature of the gifts he's distributing are to grow up, to, to grow up out of whatever, whatever level of brokenness you're in. And you are in some level of brokenness. We all are. We are all a mixture of giftedness and brokenness. However, during this transition, this is a time not to become the passive critic. Don't do that. Don't give in to that temptation. Because, because if, if, in fact, you think that, you know, this is, I don't like what's going on, don't do that. Instead, engage. Engage by his spirit into what he's doing. Um, I think the Holy Spirit will be calling every member of Bridgewood to embrace him and allow him to grow you up for the future of this mission. The second temptation is to harden yourself because your expectations are being seriously jostled. Do you have expectations about this transition? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. We all do. We all, we all anticipate. I mean, I had, I had expectations about my marriage um, that were jostled. And uh, I had expectations about having children. You know, we had, we had six, um, and, um, oh, I won't go into that. I can't go there. <laughs> but I have said this. If you want to find out how selfish you are, get married. If you really want to find out how selfish you are, have kids. And uh, enough said. Okay. But, but the second temptation is to harden yourself because your expectations are being seriously jostled. We have to move beyond our self-determined personal boundaries and expectations. Transitions always disrupt the status quo. Even your status quo, they always disrupt the status quo. 
And we must move beyond being consumers of religious goods and services. Yes? And all God's people said, okay. We have to move beyond being consumers of religious goods and services. The leaders have to stop being vendors of religious goods and services. And we have to understand ourselves to be a people sent on a mission. A lot of, a lot of the nature of modern Christianity is consumer. That I, I don't know, pretty good worship service. There's a better worship service down the road, maybe. And there's a better preacher down the road. And maybe there is. Really, maybe there is. But the reality becomes this. Are you called to this people? And if you're called to this people, then you are here. Not on the basis of, is everything swell? Is this just the best everything? No, no, no. No. In the providence of God, he has you here. Now, if you're here, be here. Be here with all of what he's infused in you and contributed into the mission that's happening here. So, I heard uh, a Mark Spencer quote delivered at a, a, a Bridgewood Congregational meeting, I think, and this is the quote, and I added just a piece onto it, Mark, forgive me. You, you'll know the piece that's not Mark's quote. But Mark said, this is not about what Brendan Fairley can or cannot do, but rather about what we will do together with Brendan Fairley leading with Brendan Fairley leading this body on the mission of Jesus. It's not about what he can do. It's about what we'll do together. I totally agree. I just want to affirm that. And I fully concur with that, that Jesus is the constant who is fully invested here, and you are his people called to this holy calling to make disciples in this part of Minnesota. And to that end, I am committed to pray with you. Uh, being on the advisory board, I'm taking this seriously. I really am. And part of it for me is, is to be in prayer for this body. As long as I have breath and as long as Jesus has called you on this mission, I'm with you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your great grace that you have distributed to each one of us. And we um, humble ourselves uh, again before you. This is all your stuff. This belongs to you. And we pray that you would forgive us for the places that we have latched on, the places where our expectations come before your will. And we pray that I pray for this body, that you would help them into this next season. Breathe on them, Jesus, as you breathed on your disciples in the upper room after your resurrection. Breathe on them again, freshly, your Holy Spirit, to do the work that you've called them to do in this part of Minnesota. Jesus, I pray confidently in your name. Amen.